0: What's up, guys? Welcome to this month's bonus episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. In a moment, you'll listen in on this month's Shoreline, where a high school student shares their testimony of God's work in their life, followed by a message which we believe will be helpful and applicable to your life as a teenager. We're so glad you're here, and without further delay, let's tune in.
1: Hey, everyone, my name is Ruthann Grant, and I'm a homeschooled senior enrolled in Dallas College's dual credit program. I was raised in a Christian home with God-fearing parents who taught me the gospel and what it meant to follow Jesus. I accepted Christ into my heart when I was about five years old, but like most kids who are raised in the church, my relationship with Christ didn't mean much to me until I was older. When I was in middle school, my family dynamic was flipped upside down, and the relationships I had with most of my siblings either ended or became extremely strained. By God's grace, I turned to him in my confusion and began to set aside time to read his word and know him more every day. This caused me to rely on Christ like I never had before. At the same time, I was put in a small group led by women with a deep love for Christ that overflowed into me. Meeting with these girls and these leaders for the past six years has deepened my love for Christ and shown me what it looks like to live authentically. When I was in seventh grade, my mom was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, a cancer in the bone marrow that has treatments but no cure. It was all over her body when they found it, and they had to start aggressive treatment in order to get it under control. We immediately jumped into treatment, doctor's appointments, and long days spent in the hospital. In December of 2018, when I was in eighth grade, my mom received a bone marrow transplant. This was meant to put her in remission for three to five years. She was in the hospital for three and a half weeks and had no immune system when she came out. My relationship with Christ was strengthened in this season. My mom had cancer, but Christ still reigned supreme. I knew this to be true, so my circumstances did not change his sovereignty. My mom's sickness was not too big for God's healing power. At this same time, I auditioned and joined the Watermark worship team. And since then, the Lord has given me so many opportunities to serve the local body through music, deepening my love and awe of him. The privilege to lead people in song as they praise their Savior is one, of, is one that has spurred me on in my love for Christ and his church. I have had caring people humbly teach me and point me back to not only the reason we lead, but also the reason our lives should be lived in a constant state of worship. Eight months after my mom was put in remission, we received the news that her cancer had come back. I remember questioning God. I still knew he was in control, but I was confused. I felt like God was hurting me, even picking on me. Wasn't a broken family and a mom with cancer enough? Why couldn't he just take the cancer away? Psalm 130, verse 5 through 6 says... I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Yes, more than watchmen wait for the morning. I was in a season of perpetual waiting, waiting for my mom to be healed or waiting for the Lord to call her home to be with him. In May of 2021, after going through months of treatment, my mom's PA called to tell us that the cancer had invaded her brain. I remember the PA saying, if we don't do any more chemo or radiation, my mom would only have a matter of weeks left with us. The most world-shattering news happened on a regular Tuesday at my kitchen table. So who was God now? Who was he to me? Was he still the healer, still the perfect father that I always believed he was? Was his plan still truly the best for me? Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I had to cling to that truth because everything around me was spiraling out of control. The entire summer of 2021 was spent in the hospital. I watched my mom endure grueling treatment, standing in awe as she praised God through it all. I got to spend so much time with my mom and grow in my relationship with Christ in the midst of grief and suffering. The Lord gave us the promise of heaven. He gave it to us so that we could be strengthened and encouraged when this world disappoints us and the brokenness of sin pains us. Revelation 23:21, three through five says, look, In October of 2021, my mom went on hospice, and on March 19th of this year, she went to be with her Savior. The relief I felt when she took her last breath was so great because the person I loved most in the entire world was no longer suffering. She was looking at Jesus face to face. My mom is no longer sick or suffering. Her heart is whole, and her bones are no longer hollow. But hand in hand with that relief is the greatest heartache that I have ever known. My view of God has been broken down and rebuilt so many times, but it is on the same foundation that God loves me so much that he sent his only son to be the ultimate sacrifice so that I can have a relationship and live in eternity with him. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I knew my pain was going to be worked out for my good and God's glory, but I had unknowingly created a mental picture of God enjoying my pain. However, this cannot be further from the truth. I've since learned that God is deeply saddened at my pain. He hurts when I hurt and he weeps when I weep. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33 says, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. The Lord is just as heartbroken as I am that I have to live my life without my mind but he brings hope and healing and promises reunification. Salvation is the sweetest gift and heaven is the most amazing promise. At the beginning of my mom's cancer journey, she told her doctor that she only wanted to live to see me graduate high school. Her doctor said that she would be able to. I don't know why the Lord didn't allow that. I don't know why the Lord took her just before my senior year. And I don't know why he took her at all. I wish he wouldn't have because my mom was my best friend and I miss her with every breath I take. But I know that I will see her again because heaven is on the other side of this pain. And in the meantime, my savior is carrying me through every moment. My story is not a before and after. Watching my, watching my mom suffer and leave her earthly body wasn't easy just because I know Jesus. In fact, I have doubted God's goodness, screamed at him and been angry at the plan he has for me. But my emotions do not change the character of God. I simply am not that powerful. I can have comfort because I know his plans for me are prosperous, gentle, kind, and for my benefit. The Lord's chase for me is never ending. His love for me is never wavering and praise God for it because while my feelings are strong and unstable, he is a firm foundation. If you can relate to anything in my story, confusion, the loss of a loved one, or anger at God, I want you to know that the Lord is bigger than the problem in front of you. He wants your heart and he wants to carry you through your pain and into the comfort of life with him and eternity after that. Thank you for letting me share my story.
0: All right, you may take your seat. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Um, We are going to spend some time in God's word. I just want to invite you to grab your Bible And to grab your journal and let's get ready to learn together. Um, Like I said, when I jumped up here at the beginning, my name is Jermaine Harrison. Um, I've served here uh, on the Shoreline team for the last eight years on staff. And um, really back since 2012. And as we were singing that song um, about God being the same God, it's crazy to just like reflect on 10 years of being here with students. And just being confident of that truth that he really is um, the same God. If I've never met you before, if you don't know much about me, I just wanted to show you a picture of my family. Uh, So this is a picture of me and my wife, Hannah, and our son, Winslow. He's uh, um, about to be two years old in January. And also in January, we are expecting, Lord willing, our daughter um, to be born. Um, Still in the market to figure out a name, so um, we'll figure that out. And my wife's here, and her birthday's also tomorrow, so you love to see it. Happy birthday, wife. You're the best. Um, All right. Uh, Here's where we're going to start. I want to ask you a question um, that I think is a great way to set up where we're going. What's the one thing in your life that if it changed, your life would change? What's the one thing in your life, if you're thinking about your current circumstances, that if it changed, you believe or you feel that your life would change? I have a couple of answers for that. So I'm going to go all the way back to right before high school um, and in the early years of high school, the one thing I really wanted to change, and I believe that if it changed, my entire life would change is if the Lord in his kindness would allow me to grow five to six inches taller. I really wanted to grow taller and I didn't want to weigh 95 pounds soaking wet. Now, if you don't believe me or if you feel like that's um, too extreme, here's a photo of me um, at my, uh, let's see, it's the, the seventh grade graduation in the Caribbean. That circle is around me, and I'm standing next to Christy, who is the shortest, smallest girl in our class, and I am shorter and smaller than her. And so I really, really wanted God to allow me to grow. For real. Um, And so I prayed, like it was one of my number one prayer requests when I was 14, 15. God, please, will you help me grow a little bit taller? I would research back then, it was Internet Explorer. I would look up, how do you grow taller? What food do you need to eat? What medicine do you need to take? I would take a ton of naps because it's while you sleep, you grow. And I really, really believed that this one change would change my life. I'd be maybe more respected, Um, I'd be chosen more in sports, the girls would flock to me of course, Um, and I would be the talk of St. Martin Academy. I was so focused on this one thing um, because I thought that if it happened, my life would change. And later on in high school, it got maybe a little more serious or more real I was looking to different places and to different sources, um, looking for change that I I thought would change my life. And maybe you can relate to some of them. I was looking to my finances. If I just had a little bit more money, my life would change. If I uh, had a change of relationship status, maybe things would be different. If I had better grades, if I had more accomplishments in sports, if I was more um, well-known in my church youth group, if I, if I wore cooler clothes, if I had way more fun on the weekend than I currently did, then maybe my life would change. And even today, um, in 2022, I'm still tempted to look to um, different places and sources to find um, something that will change. And if it changes, my life would change whether that be um, if I just have more money or if I had a different house or a nicer house or a better car than my wife's 2010 Toyota Camry or for our son to develop on schedule or whatever it might be, I'm still tempted to look to different places and different sources um, to find something that if it changed, my life would change. And I believe that you can relate and that it's not just a me thing, it's a human thing, it's us, right? So what's that one thing for you That if it changed, your life would change. And to be fair, maybe that thing does really need to change. Maybe it will improve your life. And maybe it's something that you should definitely continue to pray about. Maybe it's um, your family situation. Maybe um, your home life is tough. Maybe there's health problems that you're experiencing. Maybe you do want a change in your relationship styles or your grades. Or maybe you're just really, really lonely. Or you're really struggling mentally. And in a room this size with hundreds of students, I'm sure there are hundreds of answers to that question. But there's one thing that I want to share with you tonight that we all have in common. And if that one thing changed in your life, changed in each of our lives, our lives would be changed. Guaranteed. And So I want to spend the next few moments talking to you about the one change that will change your life. The one change that will change your life. So we're going through or we're beginning this series that we're going to walk through over the course of the school year called See You at the Shoreline. And what we're going to be looking at is individuals, Bible characters, who encountered Jesus or experienced his miracles, experienced his teaching, um, often at the shoreline. And we're going to see how those things um, uh, relate to our lives. That's kind of even why the, the name of our ministry For students in 9th through 12th grade, it's called shoreline. Because when Jesus was here on this earth, he would often gather with, teach from, or meet with people around the bodies of water um, in Israel. And so we're going to read one of those stories in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So you can turn there. It will be up on the screen. Or you can um, jump to it on your phone. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Let me read it. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other um, disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so for the next few moments, we're going to look at this calling of this disciple named Levi. His encounter with Jesus at the shoreline. And we're going to see a change that came up empty. An invitation to a different kind of change. And then the immediate and eventual results of that change. And then we're going to wrap up um, with a question about change that only you can answer. A question about change that only you can answer. Don't worry, these, these will be up on the screen um, as we move our way through this, um, these four verses. So the first thing we're going to look at, a change that came up empty. Check with me again in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. So it says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Um, A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And so Jesus was at this this lake, if you will, that's called the Sea of Galilee. There's a couple of pictures up on the screen just to kind of give you a a, a context for what was going on or where they were. This place is a real place in the nation of Israel where um, lots of cities surrounded the Sea of Galilee. It was there that um, people would go to for trade or to travel from one place to the other. It was a common meeting place. And so Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd. So think thousands of people were coming to meet with Jesus because they had heard about this teacher who taught like no one else taught. He worked miracles. He healed people. He gave sight to the blind, and he taught in the, in the synagogues or the churches of the day as one with a different kind of authority. And so Jesus, um, his renown was, was going around, around the Sea of Galilee. And people had the opportunity to respond to him. And so the first observation really is that no one's life is ever the same after encountering Jesus. No one's life is ever the same after encountering Jesus. And what I mean by that is people were either changed or transformed as they embraced who he was as the son of God who had come to be the savior of the world or they rejected him and they chose their own way. They chose their own way of... um, seeking to be right with God, or they chose their own pleasure and rebellious life. But no one's life stays the same after encountering Jesus. So look again at Mark 2, 14, the first part of verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And the first thing to um, highlight about that verse is that as Jesus was walking along, remember there's thousands of people around him wanting to hear from him, wanting to see him work miracles. And what does he do? He notices one person. In the midst of this crowd of thousands of people, he notices one man. And so in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of this crowd, in the midst of the crowd at your school, the crowd in your family, the crowd on your team, the crowd wherever you are, Jesus sees the one. That is such an incredible reality. To be comforted by and to have hope in that Jesus sees you. Levi wasn't just any old um, Israelite. He was a traitor. He had betrayed his people. He was what we call or what we were told is a tax collector. And so here's what he did. The Roman Empire was um, ruling the entire world at that point in time, if you remember your world history. And Levi, who was a Jew, an Israelite, he went to the the Romans and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I want to help you guys. Help me help you. And so he became a tax collector, taking money from his brothers, his sisters, his family, his friends, to give to the Roman government. But you know what else he would do? He would charge a little bit extra, and then he would keep it for himself. And so let's say the tax was $100. Maybe he was like, "Uh, you're required to give me $150. And so he was pocketing money left and right. And all of his fellow countrymen knew it. So they did did not like him. He was a thief. He was a liar. He betrayed them all for his own selfish gain and his own advancement in wealth and riches and comfort and ease. And if the taxes thing doesn't make sense to you, maybe this will. How many of you boys have had to or are planning to buy a mom for a girl that you're going to take to homecoming in a couple of weeks, maybe this week? Yeah? Yeah? Guys, I've done some research. These mums are so expensive. Uh, I just got told today that for the Pierce, the JJ Pierce homecoming uh, that's happening or the dance or whatever it is, a mum is $130. At least, maybe some of y'all are paying way more than 130 for that mum. And so I want you to take that example in and go, that's a lot of money for a ribbon, first of all. And then I also want you to think about, imagine... That Levi was a, a mum producer. And so he, ha, he has all the mums. Everyone has to go to him and, and buy it from him or the garters as well. And he would charge way more than he needed to so that he, he could pocket it. Imagine that was one of your friends or your classmates and their families. When you saw them in class, what would you think? That you had to pay double the price for, for this mum or this garden. You wouldn't like that person very much. You would reject them. You would scorn them. And that's what was true of Levi. He had money. He had comfort. He had ease. He could eat whatever he wanted. He could go wherever he wanted. He had a nice house. He had everything. And still he had nothing. He had no family. He had no friends. And he had nowhere where he was accepted. And so as we even think about that, he gave up family, loved ones, relationships, friends for money, for comfort, for ease. So he got something that he wanted, but he lost something that he didn't want to lose. So here's a question for you. What are you seeking in your life right now and what is it costing you? What are you seeking and what is it costing you? Maybe you're seeking a relationship. Maybe you're seeking pleasure. Maybe you're seeking um, to be um, not lonely. Whatever it might be. Maybe you're seeking something and you're doing everything possible to get it. But at what cost? What are you seeking and what is it costing you? Or maybe a different question is, maybe you have that thing that you're seeking. And you're like, I'm good. When's this mess is going to be over so I can go eat some Krispy Kreme and move on with my life? And here's a question I have for you. What do you have, maybe already, and what did it cost you to get it? How is it working out for you? Levi would say, I have the riches. I have the comfort. I have the the ease. But I'm empty. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm alone. So Levi knew that he had to make a change in his life. But that change came up empty. The change that he tried to make was to get rich and it came up empty. But praise God that that wasn't the end of the story because the next thing we'll see is an invitation to a different kind of change, an invitation to a different kind of change. So remember, verse 14, the first part, Jesus is walking along the shoreline, he sees this um, Levi, the tax collector, sitting in his tax collector's booth and he says, follow me. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Guys, this is crazy. This was like the best news Levi had heard probably in years. This rabbi who was claiming to be the son of God, who was working miracles, who was inviting people to to be a part of the kingdom of God, he looked at him who was an outcast of society, who was rejected by all of his family and friends and loved ones, and he said to him, follow me. He was inviting Levi to be his disciple. Jesus was going against even the cultural norm. The the student would ask the rabbi, can I follow you? Can I learn from you? Jesus flipped the script and he said, you come with me. Jesus saw something in Levi that his lies, his stealing, his betrayal, it didn't have to mark him. He could learn from Jesus and he could be like Jesus. When everyone else rejected him, Jesus accepted him. Jesus believed in him. Jesus believed that Levi could become like him. And so he invited him to follow. And so for so long, man, Levi had been told or had assumed that God didn't want anything to do with him. Because of what he'd done, where he'd been, how he'd lived his life. Can any of you guys relate to that? Maybe even right now you feel like, And God doesn't want anything to do with me because of blank. But now in the story, it seemed that Jesus, through Jesus, God was speaking directly to Levi. And maybe as you're hearing this story, uh, you're hearing God speak directly to you. And he's saying, in spite of what you've done or where you've been, or the, the choices that you've made in your life, Come, follow me. You see, disciples are just sinners who have responded to a divine call to follow Jesus. That's what a disciple is. Someone who said, my life is a mess. My life is not my own. I've made a mess of it and I need help. Disciples are sinners who have responded to the divine call to follow Jesus. Being a sinner was the only requirement to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus didn't call Levi because he was perfect and because he had his life together. In fact, it was the exact opposite. And it's the same today. Jesus doesn't call you and invite you to follow him because you're perfect, because you've done everything right. It's probably the exact opposite and he invites you in anyways. He wants a relationship with you if you realize and know that you need it. So Levi decided that enough was enough. He didn't want what he had. He knew it was time for a change. And so by getting up and walking away from his tax collector's booth, um, this guy Levi was saying, I'm giving up my source of income, I'm giving up my comfort, my ease, the, the great life that I've lived because something else better awaits me. Here's the thing that I want to share with you. I, I believe that some of you guys in this room or listening right now aren't willing to walk away from something to follow Jesus. Some of you in the room aren't willing to walk away from something. You're holding on to it because you think holding on to that thing, that relationship, that accomplishment, those grades, that performance, that recognition, whatever it might be. You think that holding on to that is is better for you than following Jesus. So what are you holding on to that seems better than following Jesus? What are you holding on to? That seems better than following Jesus. For Levi, he had tried the the comfort and the ease and the wealth. And he found it to be empty. And I pray that if you're trying to run after something else that you think will change your life. Other than following Jesus. That you would even in this very moment feel and believe and know it's emptiness. So, what if you did like Levi accept that invitation to come follow Jesus. What if you accepted Jesus' invitation to take the first step of placing your faith and trust in him? Because he is your savior. He is your key to a reconciled relationship to God. He is your key to more joy and less scars. He is your key to life as it was meant to be lived. So what if you took that first step And surrendered your life to him tonight, right now? Or if you've already done that, what if you took that next step? Maybe that next step is committing yourself to um, reminding yourself of truth every single day through God's word or with God's people studying the Bible together so you can know God, so you can love God, so you can follow his ways and his commands. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is is to be baptized. And to choose to publicly declare to your friends, your family, loved ones, to a watching world that you are a follower of Jesus. What if you did take that first step or that next step? In the story of, Mark, uh, and of uh, Levi in Mark chapter 2, we see the immediate and eventual results of the change. So Levi got up and he followed Jesus. He said yes to the call. And in verse 15, here's what we see. While Jesus was having, um, uh, was having dinner at Levi's house, so Levi, after he decided to follow Jesus, decided to throw a party at his amazing house that he had gotten by robbing all of his countrymen, right? While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there are many who followed him. What do you notice there? This one tax collector who was rejected uh, in society was welcomed by Jesus. And then what's the first thing he did? He invited his friends. He was like, guys, I know everyone hates us, but this man loves us. And he wants to teach us the way of the kingdom of heaven. And following him is better than the wealth and the the, the things that we've been chasing. He invited all of his friends together to throw a party so that they could meet and know Jesus. And that's because someone who has been truly changed invites others to experience the same thing. Right. If you um, experience a product, if you buy something, if you go to a, a, a restaurant that you love or you know, your favorite parish, whatever it might be, you're going to tell people about it. You're going to say, hey, this changed my life and it can change your life too if you just try it. That makes sense. And it was crazy this last week as I was telling my wife uh, uh, about teaching through this passage. She said, hey, I, I was actually listening to a podcast. And there was a guy who came on the podcast and he talked about this very passage. And it applies to the point of the immediate and the eventual results of um, making a change. So this guy on the podcast, he's been a pastor for 10 years. He's an author of like dozens of books. He lives in um, in Seattle, Washington. And he loves God and he invites other people to love God. You want to know how he became a Christian? He was a teenager in high school. And he was sitting in a class. He was lost, he was lonely, he was broken, his parents had divorced, his life was going terribly. And these two girls were sitting behind him in class, and they were debating or arguing about um, when Jesus was coming back to earth. Like literally, he didn't even uh, engage with them, but he heard these two girls talking about Jesus. So he went home, and he opened his Bible, guess to what story? This story. The story of the calling of Levi and he read this story and he saw this invitation to follow Jesus and he said yes. And he followed Jesus. He decided in that moment, by God's power and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, he understood and saw that following Jesus was better than any other direction that he could take his life as he was looking for change in his own life. That is so crazy that that the Lord in his kindness allowed Jesus to see this man, Levi, at a tax collector's booth 2,000 years ago, invite him to follow him. And that same guy, Levi, you know him better as Matthew, the author of the first of the four gospels in in the New Testament. This guy that Jesus called, he followed Jesus. He wrote one of the gospel stories about Jesus' life. And then 2,000 years later, some random dude in class hears girls talking about Jesus, goes home and reads Levi slash Matthew's story, and they come to know God. That's crazy. So what if you got up and followed Jesus? What if you took that first step of surrendering your life to him? What if you took that next step? What could happen in your life and in the lives of those around you? Maybe another question is what could be the fruit of you getting up and following Jesus? Who would be influenced? Whose lives would be changed? Whose eternities would be changed? So I leave you with a question about change that only you can answer. I can't answer it. Your friends can't answer it. um, Your parents can't. Your small group leaders can't. You, only you can answer this question. Verses uh, 16 and 17 of Mark chapter 2 says this, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what Jesus was saying is that salvation or Christianity isn't for people who think they have it all together. It isn't for people who think they're good. It is for people who know they've failed. It is for people who know they need help, who know they need rescue. And so Jesus is the perfect doctor, if you will, to heal our sin. He's always available. He makes a perfect diagnosis of where we need change in our lives. And he invites us to come follow him. So the question I leave you with is this. The question that only you can answer Is do I need a change? As I reflect on my life, as I look at my circumstances, do I need a change? And a very specific one. A change where you are invited to follow Jesus. To take that first step or to take that next step. So I'm going to give you like one minute to sit in silence, to pray, um, to ask God to show you or to help you answer that question. God, do I need a change? And if so, what is that change that I need? So we'll give you a minute or two to reflect on that and then we're gonna sing that new song that we um, sang at the top of the, the service together um, and then we'll, we'll go out and, and wrap up the night. But Do I need a change is an important question that every single one of us should answer. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Watermark Students Podcast. For more information on Watermark Students, check out watermark.org students. And we love you guys so much. We're glad you joined us. We hope you share this episode with a friend, and we'll talk to you next time.